If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by producer, editor, narrator, author and fellow podcaster, Craig Hart. Craig, it's such a joy to have you on the show. How are you today? It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you. Your experience covers uh, many mediums from audiobooks, audio drama, podcasting, editing, and of course, writing. I'd love to begin um, by asking about your background and how you found yourself working in these you know, various creative mediums. Well, first of all, I should hasten to say I don't claim to do any of these things well, per se. <laughs> I also be- am easily bored. And so <laughs> I need a lot of different things to keep myself interested. Um, but yeah, I uh, I grew up as a kid being interested in a lot of things that um, people my own age were not. So they were doing things, you know, playing video games or you know, interested in sports and, and that kind of thing. And I was more interested in sitting in a little basement room, creating various things like terrible little stories. And I started, uh, I was introduced early on to old radio dramas that were produced uh, in the 1930s and 40s in the US. And then the, you know, the UK has a long um, storied history of audio drama as well. Yeah. And so I started creating some of those on my own. And um, pretty much everything I'm doing now has its roots in those days because I was the youngest child and my two siblings were reasonably older than I was, you know, by several years. So they didn't share interests like I did. So, and there weren't kids around who were interested in those things either. And so I was spent a lot of time on my own with the freedom to explore these various things. And so I've just essentially taken those interests from my childhood and uh, learned how to make them pay me money i guess <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the dream though right that's what that's what most of us work towards and you and you find you doing that you that on a on a daily basis i mean that that's pretty incredible yeah it is i mean there is some truth to once you start getting paid for something it does take on a bit of a different color yeah. shall we say because you know you you are kind of required to do various things um but as long as you can keep that responsibility in check there is also truth to, I don't remember who said it, but, you know, do it, what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And there is some there is some truth to that as well. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's sort of, um, it can change things. And I think I always find myself having to remind, you know, remind myself that, no, this is what you wanted. You wanted this stress. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for this, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you host, uh, a producer, an edit, an, a number of podcasts, uh, such as Pink Flamingo's Flock Talk, um, a, a podcast that I absolutely love, uh, by the way. Um, 
this this may be a cheeky question to ask given what sort of situation we were in but have you any advice on creating you know a great podcast what are what are your go-to tips for for podcasters in creating a, an audio show uh, have fun with it and don't take yourself too seriously um, when I, i'm listening to various podcasts that are on and you can kind of tell which ones are having fun mm. and which ones are there because they need an episode that week or month or whatever their release schedule is, which by the way, okay. um, Pink Flamingo's Flock Talk schedule is sketchy. So, <laughs> and part of that is because we are having fun with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to me, it's like, try to do whatever you can to retain the joy in what you're doing. And this relates to what we had just talked about in the, in the previous question. Yeah. But um, if it, once it turns into a drudgery, not only is it going to be no fun for you or yeah. your guests, um, but your listeners going to be able to tell. Yeah. It's hard hard to hide that when you're just showing up. <laughs> bit of a bit of a strange question, I guess, on the front of it. Um, but bear with me if you can. Um, is is enjoying what you do of high importance to what you do does that make sense is that does you know when you're when you're picking new projects to work on when you're you know looking through the schedule of what's coming up do you do you value that how much fun am i going to be having with this project yeah well i do certainly and mm. i think now there was a time early on too when i would take everything that came my way mm. absolutely because i was trying to build something yeah uh, and I think, I think, and I'm going to butcher this, but I think it's Sean Pratt who has like three different things, whether it uh, paying, uh, is it going to be enjoyment or is it going to you know further your portfolio? Mm. And it needs, the project needs to meet two of those three before you say yes to that project. Yeah. So I think there's something to that too. So I, I don't only take things that are fun for me because there are other reasons to do it. I, maybe I need to pay a bill. That's yeah. just a reality of life. You know, yeah. but I'm just when I say when I say having fun, I mean, in the main, mm. do what you can to sustain that enjoyment and the the magic and to remember why you got into it in the first place, whether it's if it's narration, for example, it's like I got into this because I love books. I love reading books and I like character voices and making stories come alive. Mm. It's easy to lose sight of that in the day to day drudgery. Because when I say I have fun working, that doesn't mean I'm enjoying every minute of every day. That's mm. that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the bigger picture, remembering why you got on got into this in the first place, the enjoyment you can you can get. For, like, for example, with writing, I don't always enjoy writing, but I'll tell you mm. what I do love, and that gives me the high is having written. Mm. When I am done for the day, I look back at the productivity, or I finish the book and type the end. There's no feeling like it. So yeah. when I'm in the day-to-day -day drudgery of creating, I'm not always having fun, <laughs> but I know I will be, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's that sense of achievement, isn't it? Especially if you've worked out like a plot problem or, you know, you 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 see that progress happening in front of you and you think I've accomplished something today. It feels good. That's how I feel about right. exercise. I hate it. Right. <laughs> I hate everything, <laughs> everything to do with it. But then when I go to bed, I've done my whatever, half an hour of whatever. I think, oh, there you go. I can sleep easy. <laughs> exactly. Exercise. I, I think I've heard of it, but... <laughs> How did um, audiobook narration come about for you? You say that, you know, you grew up loving story and coming up with, uh, you know, audio dramas and playing around with story. How, how did you make that sort of leap to, to narrating? Was, was acting on the cards for you? Have you always been a performer as well as a, a writer and, and storyteller? Well, so I had a podcast a while back, uh, back in the day called The Games and Writers Show. Mm. And the, the original 
premise was that writers would gather and as they played video games, they would like chat about writing and plot stuff, you know, kind of like on Twitch. I think it started on Twitch. Yeah. And it very quickly changed from that because it's actually really difficult to talk about deep writing subjects while you're playing video games, as it turns out. So I started interviewing a bunch of different people. And one of the people I interviewed was somebody who was a voice actor. So I was mm. talking about that. And for some reason, even though I had as a kid had got into this and listened to a bunch of audio dramas and had done a couple little silly things of my own back then, I didn't really understand that you can make money doing it, mm. uh, which should have been obvious, I suppose, but it wasn't. And so when I talked to this voice actor, she began talking about some of the projects she had been involved in and some of her path and a light kind of came on like, well, maybe I could actually pursue this. And so I just did the whole thing that you do. You get on ACX and you, I even tried out some of the pay for play sites like voices.com, for example, yeah. and um, began to network and learn from other people, join some of the Facebook groups and it just morphed from there. Um, like, mm -hmm. so it's a whole new world opened up for me. Um, yeah. And I really got pretty heavy into that for a couple of years. I think I have, I don't know, 150 something audiobooks that yeah. I did in a, in a couple of years time. And I've stepped back a little bit from that to focus more on writing. Because hmm. as I said, I get easily bored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and writing is my first love, I will say. So I, I, I was missing that pretty terribly at the time. So I'm in the process now of rediscovering more of a balance among all the th things I, li I like to do. But that was yeah. how it started. It was just a conversation on the podcast with somebody that again, made the light bulb go off and like, well, maybe something that I did back then I could now do. Yeah. And you can, as it turns yeah. out. Yeah. It's why connecting with people and chatting things through is so important, isn't it? It can lead you down a whole new avenue that you love and you, you never discovered otherwise. That's what it's all about. Talking to other people and networking, which is something I hate doing, by the way. I am by nature an introvert. I, yeah. again, I think from kid, from a, as a kid sitting in that basement room on my, by myself doing these things, yeah. I'm still kind of like that. That's what I prefer to do, <laughs> but you can't do that if you want to, to sound so cheesy, but if you want to make your dreams come true, you can't keep sitting in that basement room by yourself. You have to get, yeah. get out and meet people, <laughs> learn from them. And, and people have already done the things that you want to do. So there's yeah. no reason to go back and start from the beginning because you can learn from them and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes they made. And you won't learn these things unless you have a dialogue with those people. I was going to ask, actually, um, there's, uh, you're, you're attending um, several author events over the next few months. And I wanted to ask on, on the topic of networking events. I know that the author events aren't necessarily networking. Um, you know, the, the people come to, to meet you and to chat about books. But on the same topic of networking events and conferences and meetups, they're a huge part of, you know, narrators and VO um, industry people's lives. Um, like we have APAC um, coming up in the next few weeks, for example. Do you attend many audiobook, you know, audio industry events? Is that something that you, you try and do? I don't think I've ever been to an audiobook focused event. Mm -hmm. All of okay. my networking and that has been online and the various Facebook groups, um, discord was another one big one early on that i got with the narrators i got involved with with and and met a bunch of people there mm. um but just because i haven't done it doesn't mean they aren't good because i do think mm. they are um on the author side that was what kicked off the author career back in the day was mm. i attended um, a large author signing my first big signing that i, I had done 
and I saw what other people were, were doing and how they were doing it. And they were all doing a lot better than I was. And so I started like, how were they doing this? I need to figure out what they're doing and how they're doing it. If I hadn't done that, I would, I might still be spinning my wheels as I was back then. Yeah. Um, so I would, I, again, creatives tend to be introverts. They don't want to get out there. They don't want to meet people. It's scary. I get it. I feel the same way. Um, yeah. But that's just kind of what you need to do. So if, mm. if, and the other thing I should say that being the narrator was never quite my end all goal. That was something I enjoyed mm. doing and wanted to do and saw an opportunity to do and it worked out. Mm. But for me, it, it was writing. And so I've done more events on that side. But if narrating is your thing, mm. if VO is your thing, absolutely go out there and meet those people and be seen, just be yeah. seen uh, because there are so many voices <laughs> shouting for attention literally in this in that industry <laughs> that it's it's difficult to be heard yeah. and if anything you can do to make yourself more visible in a positive way then that's what you want to do and going to meet people and shaking somebody's hand and looking them in the eye is a lot more memorable memorable than a comment on facebook or even an email because they will have that personal connection i mean this is something we lost during covid in a way people yeah. it was all virtual but we need to get back to meeting people face to face and having that human to human connection. There's not, there's nothing quite like a handshake, a smile, and a how are you to make those people remember you. Yeah. Pass them a card, move on. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you mentioned uh, COVID there. How how was your how was your creativeness as it were through COVID? I've heard stories. Um, I've had a, a fair few um, authors and writers on this podcast, um, and and they all have different answers to their reaction to the lockdown. Some worked like there was no tomorrow, and some just didn't pick up the pen or you know touch the keyboard once. How how were you during the lockdowns? You know, when it first started, I was I kind of thought, oh well, I mean, this is a horrific situation. But perhaps I can make the best of it by being super creative and super productive. Mm. It didn't work out that way. Mm. I had a hard time doing it. Um, and I think as I the postmortem, poor choice of words, but as I've looked back, I have just said, you know what? I think I was reacting to and struggling with the general cultural malaise, psychological malaise that was happening to mm. everybody. So even though I was sitting at home by myself and had the quote time to do it, yeah, there was just the zeitgeist was bad, man. <laughs> it felt bad, and <laughs> it was difficult to, to 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 really be truly creative in that in that period of time for me. I know some people did like they sat down and they churned out books at book after book after book, yeah, and great for them. I you know that's that's I feel that that's great for them. I'm happy for them, but that's just not how it happened for me. I I had a hard time with it for sure. That's fair. I am. Um, yeah, I feel you. I also struggled. Um, I'm trying to I, I write plays or try to um, I should I should add. Um, and I thought when the lockdown first came, I thought I'm going to write the masterpiece. I'm going to this is going to be it. I'm going to end lockdown as you know, the next whoever. Um, yeah. And it just sort of declined as everything else seemed to. Uh, yeah, it was tough. Uh, Serenity, uh, Serenity Hunted, um, a Shelby Alexander thriller, um, which I believe, please do correct me if I'm wrong, releases on the very day of this recording, the 20th of That's right. Yeah. So so it's now available for those who are listening to this show. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what we can expect from this new release? 
Sure. So that is the first book in that series for a little over two years now. And not coincidentally, I think that's, mm. you know, puts it prior right smack in the pandemic. So mm. um, this is a the the last the prior two books in the series I writ, wrote with a co-author mm. and then the six prior to that I wrote written by myself this one I'm writing by myself as well have written and it is to me a culmination of what I've learned over the past couple three years because even mm. though I wasn't writing much during the pandemic I was learning quite a bit mm. I did a lot of reading um and research and, and just investigation of my own authorial voice, shall we mm. say. Yeah. And so in this newest book, Serenity Hunted, I, I feel like I put a lot of those things into practice, into play. We learn, and I learned uh, more about the main character even. Mm. And so it's um kind of a resumption of what Shelby started out to be in that progression. You took a little bit of a U-turn, or not a U-turn, but a detour, shall we say, yeah. in the last, especially the eighth book. Um, but he's back. Now, back to basics, but new and improved. Um, story moves quick, moves fast. And uh, I think people enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed writing it, and it was a lot of fun. I, I had um, uh, a reader, early reader from the UK, uh, say that uh, reading this book, it felt like putting on an old comfy jumper which uh -huh. us will know as a sweater, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was like revisiting. And that's how I felt writing it too. I was like, okay, this, this was supposed to happen. This is going back to basic kind of like pre, even pre COVID. And I hate to keep bringing it up, but it was such a central point yeah. going back pre that, you know, it was like, okay, trying to get back to normal and uh, carrying on our lives. And Shelby does the same thing in this latest book. Fantastic. Do you um you mentioned balance um a few questions ago, and you want to be more balanced between other work and then you know getting making sure that writing takes um a, you know a more um, integral part of your day. I'd love to know how you structure your day. Could you take us through like a typical working day in the life? Sure. Partly it determines on what's going on. Sometimes mm. I have heavier editing, audio editing workload uh, mm. or producing, and so that takes center stage for a while. Mm. Um, but what I like to do is start out the day after I, I get up, take the kids to school, and then come home. And I usually I try to start by writing. Ever since I started getting back into writing last mm. while, um, I've tried to do that first because my mind is freshest in the morning. I go back and try to reread what I had written the day before mm. and then carry on from there, which is an old uh, Ernest Hemingway trick. That's what he did. Um, and then after that, uh, about mid morning, I will about this time, I will go off and do some audio editing, mm. um, then lunch. And then after lunch is sort of what the, whatever the uh, heaviest part of my workload is, whether that's audio editing or writing, I will then do that after lunch. So in the morning, it's kind of split between the two afternoon is whatever I is, is clamoring for my attention i focus on that and right now yeah. i've got a couple of editing audio editing projects so after this i'll probably jump over to that computer and work on that <laughs> yeah. has um has narrating audiobooks had an impact on your writing yeah um so first of all i think more about what a potential narrator would have to deal with so let's not mm. have eighty thousand accents in a single book for one thing <laughs> um let's be careful about the words like asked or grasped <laughs> let's try to limit those 
<laughs> um, but also just, you know, one good way tip for writers, one good way to edit your own work is to read it aloud. And so mm -hmm. as I'm reading other people's work aloud, I have, I think, uh, become better at what feels natural to read because mm -hmm. I'm reading it aloud. Like I've read, I can, if I'm narrating a book, there are some books that flow smoothly and some mm -hmm. books that I'm constantly making mistakes on. And now part of that may just be my frame of mind during the recording session, but I think some of it is also the style of the writing. And so if I am in narrating a book and it's just flowing and mistakes are minimal, I'm not tripping over words. Mm -hmm. One thing I do is thought, well, why? Why is this going so well? Am I just having a good day as a narrator or have they written it so well that it's making my job as a narrator easier? And mm. if it's the latter answer, then you can learn something from that book, the style, the sentence structure, all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I've tried to take the stuff, books, the good books that I've narrated and tried to figure out what they've done well and apply that to my own writing. The overcoming the anxiety of writing badly. Um, so many of us who incorporate writing into our ambitions, um, you know, aim to create the perfect writing environment and headspace, um, often meaning that on the days that when those two things just don't come together, we pull away from writing and our goal. Do you have any advice about overcoming the idea that every word we jot down just needs to be genius? Right. <laughs> um, well, that is an impossible goal because nobody's ever done it. Uh, and I don't care who the author is, whether it's the aforementioned Hemingway or yeah. whatever. And you can see on the back that I have plenty of Hemingway books. And so I'm clearly a fan, but even he was not that way. So that's not a goal. You know, put it this yeah. way. The goal should not be perfection because that's impossible. Mm -hmm. However, the goal should be excellence, and excellence mm -hmm. can exist in the absence of perfection. Mm -hmm. um, and the good news for us as writers is that we're not in a position where we have to share our first drafts with anybody except ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, we need to give ourselves permission to write garbage because if you know if if we are trying to make every word perfect from the outset, that's just going to result in the dreaded writer's block. Um, whether or not that actually exists as a thing is a matter of debate, but it certainly is. It's, it's a death knell for creativity because creative creativity and being creative is not perfect. It's not always pretty. It's mm. can be garbage. <laughs> it's you get it out there and then you massage it and work it and you make it as close to perfect as you can it's sort of like you know um if michelangelo took a block of stone and like i don't want to start on this because i might make a mistake or something then we just end up with a block of stone wouldn't we yeah. we would never have seen what's inside the block of stone instead of what he did i think it was the quote from him where he just kept chipping until the sculpture revealed itself hmm. like he didn't even give himself credit for it it's like it was in there i just revealed it and that is kind of how we can approach our writing. We need to get the block of stone on the paper. That's the first draft. And then we work it and massage it until the story re reveals itself. I think a lot of times we as writers give ourselves a bit too much importance. We put ourselves front and center. We're the important thing, but we're not. We're just the person who is allowing this story 
to reveal itself. And uh, so when we're anxious and when a lot of times when we are anxious, we are making ourselves the focal point. And at that, at that point, perhaps it's good to step, step back a little bit and remember that we're just the vessel. Are you, um, are you one who sets out the entire plot or, you know, the entire idea, you know, from start to finish where you're going before writing, or are you more of a discoverer as it goes along and let it, you know, reveal itself in, as you know, as you, as you, as you go along that writing process, did you, you know, whereabouts on that, on that sort of scale, do you find yourself most often? I've done both. Um, early on, I was purely what they would call a pantser, just, re- mm. you know, discovered things as they happened. And the very mention of the word outline kind of sent me into hysterics. Uh, <laughs> and as I have started to increase my productivity and output as a writer, I have begun to learn that outlines are, it's gaining in importance, shall we say. And so one of mm-hmm. the recent books, um, I had it all a, a story treatment written out from beginning to end. Like I knew where it was starting, where it ended and mm-hmm. most of the stuff, in between. And I discovered much to my chagrin that I got it written much faster. <laughs> so <laughs> um, now the w- book I'm working on now is kind of a hybrid. I have some of it outlined out, but I don't know everything. Um, but what I also make sure to do is to outline as I'm going. So for example, after I write a chapter, mm. I summarize it and put a point on the outline so that when I get later in the book, I have a bird's eye view of what I've already done. Because Mm -hmm. in the past, that's always been kind of a sticking point. I go gangbusters pantsing my way through all the way to like, you know, 75%. And then I, I don't remember what's happened. I don't remember the the hanging plot threads. And then I have to go back and do all this work and that take, and that's what took up so much time. Yeah. And so if I have a firm grasp of where I am in the form of either a, full outline or uh, an in-progress outline, I have a much firmer understanding of what's going to happen. And if I understand what's going to happen, then I have a much better chance of figuring out what should happen. So I've done both. And I would say now I'm sort of in the middle of a hybrid and I do in various stages of the work, depending on what what it requires. You've um you've also worked uh, with a writing part a writing partner um for for many years. How does that collaboration work? Do you do you write in the same room? Is it more of a go off and write and then we'll review it together? How how does that work for you? So what we have always done is um write in sections and send back mm. and forth. I don't you know we've done that a lot. Um, I don't necessarily know that I would do that going forward or that I would recommend it because mm. it can be very difficult to make those very, those author voices mesh. Mm. And what you certainly don't want is for the reader to be able to tell where one person left off and another one began. Yeah. Um, I think you know, going forward, I would, all, I would probably recommend more. Uh, I think as, as David Wood and Alan Baxter do, uh, a good writing team is one writes a very, very detailed outline and the other person writes the quick first draft and then they polish it together, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a much better way of doing it. And, you know, if I were to collaborate going forward, I think that's probably the thing I would enforce at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the going back and forth worked for a while, but mm-hmm. at some point, especially if you begin working on your own independent projects at the same time as you're working on, it can it can be become a bit of a mess. Um, and so as things have become more complicated and 
the my co-author and I have, have individual projects working out at the same time. It's just gotten too cumbersome and it, it's not as simple as it was in yeah. the early days. And so I don't know. I, I For me, I'm a big, big proponent of people doing what works for them. So as I'm sitting here spouting these dictates, <laughs> people should understand that these are just things that in my experience have, have worked or not worked and yeah. things may, you know, try it. And if it works for you, great. If it doesn't try something else, but yeah. um, those are probably the two main things that I would consider. Yeah, that's fair. That's great. Um, audio, just moving on to uh, audio dramas now, if that's okay. Um, audio dramas are, are a huge passion of mine. I love listening to them and, and love to perform in them uh, when I get a chance to. I'd love to chat about your work with LRT Media. Um, could you give us like a rundown of, of what goes into producing an audio drama? I know that's quite a big and vague question. Um, but, you know, such as the full cast uh, Sherlock Holmes book that came out, you know, a, a drama that came out recently. I know there's more episodes coming out down the line. Could you could you give us a, a, a sort of a, you know, a taster of what goes into that, um, you know, a production such as that? Yeah. Um, so the Titanic wave, which you know came out a couple of years ago, I'm losing track of time now, but um, that was so what happened was I, I reached out and to uh, a contact in the audio drama world. I was like, do you know anybody who could write me a script? He gave me a couple names. Mm. Um, I didn't know either one of them. And so I contacted the person whose name was the coolest. That's literally <laughs> how I made the decision. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sent him an email and he wrote back and was like, yeah, I can write you a script. In fact, I already have one that I'm trying to get produced and haven't sold yet. And so I sent it to me. He sent it to me. I loved it. And, uh, as luck would have. So I bought that script from him and also uh, hired him as the director because um, mm. he had more contacts in the world at that time than I did. And so um, he gathered up most of the casts. I added a couple people, but most of the casts were from him. And on the, the problem, again, going back to COVID again, people couldn't get together in a, in a studio. And yeah. so what we did was we had various sessions of groups of people, actors, who would gather over Zoom mm. so they could react to each other. And I certainly didn't want and would not recommend, if possible, people recording all lines in the wild because it's just, they're not going to sound like they're truly re reacting to each other. Yeah. And then, so because we couldn't have, even because of scheduling, not all actors could be on the Zoom at the same time. And so what I did was read everybody else's lines who wasn't there hmm. and tried to mimic how the previous group had read those lines so that the current group of actors could react to that line. <laughs> and if you listen to the Titanic wave, I, I don't personally believe that you can tell that people are in separate places. I mean, they're for all over the world. Um, and, but yeah, they're in the same audio drama and for the most yeah. part, there are a couple places maybe, but for the most part, it sounds pretty natural. Hmm. Um, so once we got those lines down, um, I did the editing, put the voice track together. And once I had a full voice track together without any sound effects or anything, just, just lines timed up properly, sent them off to the composer, uh, who was John Campbell, who's done work for like Disney and Nickelodeon hmm. and whatnot. Um, and he was a childhood hero of mine. Like he did a lot of music for audio dramas I listened to. And so yeah. it was really cool to work with him. 
so I on the phone call, actually, I emailed him and suddenly my phone rang. I was like, it's from California. Like, who's that? <laughs> and somebody's calling me. So I answered, it's John Campbell. And I'm like, no, I didn't know you were going to call me. <laughs> He's like, I'm just a guy. <laughs> Apparently he gets it a lot. Um, so anyway, and then he did the music and sent the, he created the cues for me though. Cause I didn't even know enough at that time to know that I should have sent him music cues. So he was kind enough to figure out the cues, wrote the music, sent it back to me. And then I put that in the voice track mm. timed up. Uh, then I did the, I also did the sound design for it. Um, that was quite an experience and um yeah and then it was done so yeah i i don't know how good of an overview that is a great one but uh there you go that's how we did it yeah i just think there's there's so much that goes into it. obviously i know that sounds obvious but there is so much that goes into it i think that folks enjoying the program once it's come out just have no idea how much <laughs> how much <laughs> right. you know effort went into it i think it's nice to shine a light on that <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's so many like little, like little tiny things. I'm trying to uh, remember. Oh, well, there's a, a scene where in the Titanic wave where the two main characters have a very brief marriage scene. And mm -hmm. there's a point where they clink champagne glasses and everything says the Navratils, which is the family name. So toasting them. It sounds like a crowd, but every but we didn't have enough voices. So everybody who's chanting the Navratils, they're all me. <laughs> Like I recorded my voice at various pitches, like the Navratils, the Navratils, and then put those all together. And so the entire crowd is just, just Craig in his basement. <laughs> but these, you know, and then other little things like that, various ways we did sound effects and created yeah. those um, just hilarious. So when, and again, you're right. The person who's just listening to it on the, on the back end or yeah. whatever they, or the finished product, they're not going to know all these things, but um, as I listen to it, I'm laughing my head off because I'm picturing all these <laughs> ridiculous things that happen behind the scenes. <laughs> I think like whenever you see like footage and uh, you know coverage of Foley artists, you know working on you know if it's for something for screen or audio dramas and stuff, it's you never realize how much sound one makes going through a uh, you know daily life. It's like how was like how was that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it's like uh it's like an audio sleight of hand um i think that's one thing that's so cool about it you know i, I saw a yeah. video as you mentioned of a foley artist and he was doing like a romantic scene a kiss scene and he was like like slurping on a spoon of mayonnaise or something it was just it was like, it's like that is not exactly the image i want at this time but <laughs> so good that's great i think yeah i think some of them are just hilarious um, well, um, when casting for audio dramas, when, you know, gathering the cast up, are there any standout traits that VO actors do that, that, you know, you would encourage more of us to incorporate into our auditioning process? With, with audio drama, yeah, I, to me, it's um, staying, the ability to stay in the scene and to be able, and what, I guess what I mean by that is to remember where you are. Mm. Um, and not go in and out. Mm. What I love are, are actors who are doing audio drama and are so into it that they are engaging in what I call vocal foley. Like they are reacting mm. to the like, hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or um, they're supposed to be walking and they make, <laughs> you know, just more mm. an effort, like, you know, those kind of little tiny yeah. things or just getting out of a chair. It's a little tiny expression. 
um, that those are small things, but they make all the difference. And yeah. if, you know, if I hear an actor doing stuff like that in a scene, if they, you know, they're auditioning with a scene and they're really into it, doing that vocal Foley and they know where they are, they know what's happening around them. And they're, they're aware of other people who are supposed to be in the scene, whether they're present or not mm. in the audition. Um, I know that person's not going to give me any trouble. Mm. I know what they're doing. They, they know what they're doing and they're invested and they understand that audio drama is not simply reciting a line. And it's even more so than audiobook narration, which again, I think more people could incorporate acting into their audiobook narration to, to be frank, but yeah. it's even more than that. Like you are a single person in that audio drama. And as you would on stage, be that person because there are a lot of things that happen non-orally that can become apparent on audio than people think. For example, a smile. There was a, a, a line, the, the guy who wrote the Titanic Wave, Darby Kern, tells a story about he put um, a notation in a script that said the character should smile. And somebody asked, well, how is the audience going to know? And he's like, they'll know. You can hear a smile. Mm. And you can. I'm smiling right now. You, my voice changes. You can uh -huh. tell. Um, and so those those little things that people don't necessarily think about because they say, well, it's audio. Nobody's going to know, but they will. Somehow the audience does does know. So just be aware of what you're doing, who you are, and what's around you. Yeah, absolutely. What is it about audio drama as a, you know, as a communication for entertainment that that keeps you invested as a creative? Why why do you love audio drama uh, as you know as, as opposed to not saying you don't enjoy the other forms of drama? But why audio drama specifically? Bring, what brings you um, brings you in as a creator about that medium? Well, there's certainly the childhood experience of it. Now, when I grew up, we did not mm. have a television, and right. so audio drama was a primary form of entertainment. Mm. And so there's that certainly that you know cannot be ignored. But also now, as I'm looking back, I there is something about audio drama that requires an investment from the consumer, in this case, the mm. listener, that something like television doesn't. A television, it's all laid out for you. You see what's happening. The set is there. Um, you can see expressions on people's faces. With an audio drama, you set the scene. Certainly there are sound effects and stuff, but as far as the visuals in your mind, it's the theater of the mind. Hmm. You have to be invested and, and concentrated on what you're listening to to get the full effect of that audio drama. And if you can do that, then to me, it's a much richer entertainment experience because you have created in your mind a world that means more to you because you made the decisions about what you want to see not mm. the person who's creating the television show yeah so there's more there's more collaboration with a with a listener isn't there really what's what's a question that you wished you were asked more uh well how did you get to be so handsome uh <laughs> how can i be more like you these kind of <laughs> yeah um I don't really know. I don't. That's a really good question. That's a great question. What is a question I wish I was asked more beyond? How can I send you money? <laughs> to be fair, when I first I've been I've um, put that question in the last couple of interviews, and the first time I asked it, someone answered it, and then said, "How about you?" And I went, "Uh." <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, you know, as an interviewer, you should never ask a question you wouldn't want to be asked yourself. It's sort of like a, a lawyer. Yeah, you should never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Yeah, I just I just kind of went, this podcast isn't about me. This is about you. I don't need to. <laughs> I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> no, that's a tough one. And that's a good one because I don't I don't know. I wish I had a good answer for that. Yeah, because it, it, it is a it is a good question because it's sort of it's um well it gives you insight into the maybe how the person <laughs> thinks about themselves, which is maybe why I don't want to answer it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this may be a little bit easier. Um, when not writing in the booth, editing or producing, what what can we often find you up to? Um, well, I play some video games with my kids. Um, mm. they love. Well, they love Minecraft, and I've yeah. mostly been able to beg off of playing Minecraft because I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, but we do play some PlayStation Five together. Uh, interesting thing. Um, uh, sometimes after they get home from school, I'm not quite done working, so I'll be in my office writing a lot, a lot of times. And uh, one of my twin boys, Andrew, has discovered um my 1952 Underwood typewriter. <laughs> nice. Like, what is that? So I was like, <laughs> that's what people use before computers. Like what so i showed him how to put the paper in and all that stuff and uh, the mechanical workings of it and he's now been as i'm working on my latest book he's been over here on the other side of the room typing his own story oh, fantastic. <laughs> on, on the 1952 underwood typewriter <laughs> so we've been able to collaborate a little bit on that so that's been fun <laughs> but yeah that's if fantastic. i'm not doing if i'm not doing the things the work things i'm usually doing something with them yeah <laughs> That's brilliant. What an experience getting to type at such, you know, a young age, getting to type on a proper typewriter. It blew his mind. He couldn't, yeah. yeah. And he, what, what, you know, what really confused him was that he couldn't, he made a mistake and he couldn't delete it. <laughs> like, sorry, man, it's, it's, it's in the record now. You can't, you can't backspace and just take it off. Yeah. It's also, it's oh, a life lesson. Also, <laughs> what he loves about it, I think the most is that you don't have to charge it. <laughs> you can figure out where the batteries it doesn't have any it's just it's mechanic like you don't have to charge it no you could go all day all night yeah. just, it wouldn't matter <laughs> yeah you the writer will run out before the before the right. software does yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> it was already lasted like 71 years so i think i think it's good it's still going <laughs> that's fantastic um i'd love to uh you know end the show uh by simply asking if you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about that you can chat about that, that we can look forward to yeah absolutely so i've got more books coming out um the third book in the maxwell barnes adventure thriller series comes out march 31st that's mine tempest yeah. and i'm currently working on and mostly done with the next book in that series that'll be book four and also book mm -hmm. one of the next trilogy because that's how that series works like they're the books are set up in trilogies within the same series and the mm. story arc goes through all three books and then starts over so you have some resolution, but you also have an ongoing storyline. Yeah. So that would be April 15th for the first, for the fourth book. Also first book. This is getting really confusing in the trilogy. <laughs> um, I've started uh, the 10th Shelby Alexander series a book. Uh, I don't have a release date for that yet. And then you mentioned earlier on the Sherlock Holmes. I do have, yeah. um, have begun the script for the next Sherlock Holmes, which will be an original uh, Sherlock Holmes story using those characters as well because what I'm doing with the Sherlock Holmes series the, this particular version of it is creating 
uh, a char- or an arc of those characters that's slightly different from what Doyle has said. What I'm trying to do is anger both the purists <laughs> and the people who like the original <laughs> stuff because yeah. it's close <laughs> enough to make the other people angry, but not so close to satisfy the purists. So I'm just I'm trying to make to anger both sides. So I'm yeah. hoping, hopefully I'll succeed. Um, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see some more progression of of Dr. Watson because I want him to be more important than he was in the original mm. stories. Um, and then see how Holmes will react to that changing landscape as well. But yeah. yeah. So that's what I've got. Another audio drama and a couple more books. Fantastic stuff. I had um, RJ Bailey. He's actually been on this show twice, um, but he was on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking to me about his experience, um, you know, voicing, uh, you know, being being a part of that project. And he, he was just saying how amazing it was. And uh, I was very envious, very envious indeed. <laughs> well, what a great Holmes he has been. I mean, I mean, he was great in the first ones, but and then the second one is us, I've been seeing him really embrace that role and then he mm. and aw aw miller does dr watson and the the they have really begun to woodwork i try to record them together if at all possible because their interaction yeah. is just is just great i'm trying to make dr watson again more important but also yeah i don't know if if anybody has heard the 1940s audio dramas with basil rathbone and nigel bruce I like Nigel Bruce's interpretation of Watson, but it goes a little too far. It's a little too cartoony. So I'm trying yeah. to draw that back a little bit, still have some fun with it, but not quite as silly as, as that was. So they've yeah. done a great job of, of doing that. So it's been great to work with them. Yeah, fantastic. Where Where is best for our for our listeners, for the listeners of this show, where is best for, for them to, to keep up to date with everything that you're doing? Well, there's a website. It's either craigahart.com or thrillercraig.com. Those go to the same place. Books are all on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. And then uh, all the audio drama, except for the latest Sherlock Holmes, which is for a short time exclusive on Dramafy, uh, which is an audio drama portal. Yeah. Uh, The other ones they can find for free wherever podcasts are sold slash heard slash discovered. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I think that just about brings us to a close uh, of the this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of Craig's links to social media and website and those uh, just mentioned uh, will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, another huge thank you to you, Craig, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. 
If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.